What mm. the hell is septic arthritis? Heart starts beating out my chest. Breath strains in and out. So she was a 44-year-old female, and she actually was a representation. She got seen the day before, um, and she got diagnosed with cellulitis. Um, it still didn't look like a traditional cellulitis. Mm. Um, but what was interesting is that, you know, when, when you examine a limb, you examine proximal to the to the actual affected component and mm-hmm. so i examined it from the shoulder downwards and the shoulder in itself the left shoulder she had severe pain even on like the slightest of movement is if you are concerned about something if something's not making sense definitely revisit the whole story start from scratch and try to regather some new information Welcome to the EDGM. Welcome to the podcast, Legend! Hey. Um, and welcome to camera two. Camera two. Recording camera two. Yeah, baby. <laughs> We're done. Um, legends, welcome to the podcast for another week. Uh, this week, I am talking to uh, Damo. Hey, um, Damo, welcome to the podcast, bro. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm thanks stoked. It's um, been a pleasure to work with you clinically, uh, and to have you back um, in our department. It's good to be back, Mr. Team. It's good, bro. Mr. Love. <laughs> Mr. Love. So good. Um, and dude, today we're going to be chatting about um, septic arthritis. Yeah, yeah, um, we got a case for that. It's going to be sick. Interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to it. But, dude, you're a, I can see on your shirt, you're a nurse prac. Yeah. Um, and for all those legends, nurse pracs out there, this episode's for you. Um, we want to find out, dude, what is a nurse practitioner? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it takes a long time to actually get there. Um, and I'm proud to be one. Yeah. And big shout out to all my nurse practitioner colleagues out there in Australia. Um, yeah, so a nurse practitioner, it's a endorsed... Uh, advanced care registered nurse um, and uh, they've done they've acquired extra education and training um, so they can provide comprehensive health care um, in all ways um, like emergency chronic care acute care remote so many so many places where they are so useful mm. have you always wanted yeah. to be an NP um, I think I think yeah I think okay. uh, since I was maybe about an RN too, yep. um, and just working with other MPs who kind of inspired me to be one, it, would mm. be, it was pretty awesome yeah. seeing what they could do. And I'm like, you know what, I think I could do that. Okay. So why not? So I pursued uh, it. And th- for people out there who want to become MPs, you've got to meet a bit of a, not a standard or a benchmark in order to be an MP? Yeah, I think the criteria is uh, five years. Um, I think, yeah, five years out of undergrad at least mm-hmm. uh, i could be wrong yeah and things are changing um and then you need you need to be working at the top level of that field a specialty for at least one year okay. and it's usually a cns kind of role yeah um and then you uh have to apply for uni but then there's a few criteria that you have to meet yeah um you know your hospital needs to support you you need to have a preceptor um and you need to meet the admission criteria yeah so once you get into uni and then you finish the course, it takes about three years okay. part-time. Yep. Um, and that's a master. 
Um, and then you can come out and hopefully Arpa endorses you. No, that's what you need. <laughs> After hey. all that, yeah. Um, and you some uh, some of the requirements are like a graduate certificate or a, a, a yeah, some yeah, postgraduate yeah. degree yeah, so in your field. Yeah, be- like between that kind of first year to five years, you'd that hope that you'd do some sort of graduate certificate at least. Cool. Um, yeah. And for people that want to be MPs, um, there's things you could do along the journey. Maybe like, you know, collect sort of data on patients or at yeah. least all of your advanced clinical skills are important mm-hmm. for endorsement. So I found particularly as a CNS and thinking about applying to university that keeping a record of um, your advanced care practice um, so that you can show as evidence to the university that you actually meet the criteria is uh, quite beneficial. Cool. So um, think about like RNs who are thinking about being a nurse practitioner, start collecting evidence now, mm. um, regardless of where you're at. Um, I mean, if you're a new grad, you're going to stick to new grad. And yeah, yeah. if you are too, you're going to stick to that. And yeah. um, But if you're kind of a few years along and you are generally thinking about it, then definitely collect some information and how you're practicing at an advanced level. Cool. Yeah. What are some things that you get to do as a nurse prac? So like give me some rough patients that you would see as a nurse prac oh, yeah. and what types of uh, differing presentations that you might get as a nurse prac. Mm. So um, being an emergency nurse practitioner, there's, it's our scope of practices are quite vast. Mm. Um, and so it could range from like just simple distal limb injuries to wounds to um, just simple uh, pain. Um, it could be like a renal colic or abdominal pain where it's a little bit more complex. Um, you start thinking about first trimester, um, PV bleeding mm-hmm. or, um, just migraines. Um, uh, there's a whole vast, uh, array of presentations that, mm. that we can take care of as emergency nurse practitioners. Um, but it's usually the single system issues, yeah. um, non-complicated, uh, but if like, a, a lot of fast tracks these days have some sort of subacute component mm. to it, and so we end up seeing some subacute patients as well. Yeah, um, and you guys pick up some stuff. I had, we had a nurse prac here recently, saw a patient who was pretty unwell. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. did an examination. You know, listened to the patient, and then basically, you know, had some altered sort of like breathing sounds and had some altered sats, and then mm. picked up something really good that would have normally sent someone home. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You guys do a great job. From yeah, and I heard that patient ended up being quite critical. They ended yeah. up going to a tertiary hospital where ended up on ECMO. Like, yeah. like thank goodness that the nurse prac actually went the extra mile to well, and did their job really. Yeah, um, properly assessed the patient, mm. and that patient. Uh, I'm not sure how they're going now. I'm sure mm. they're okay. Um, you know, uh, they're doing well. Mm. And if you get a chance to work with any NPs during your, um, you know, your nursing career or during your medical career, I reckon it's a good idea. Uh, they're a super wealth of knowledge. They've got so much, um, I guess, vast majority of knowledge in terms of their background. Um, but I also think that they're very approachable. Um, yeah. That's yeah. I, I feel like we've been around for a while and we've <laughs> kind of, we've been there as new grads and kind of worked our way up and um, kind of have that empathy. Mm. Um, and we're, because we've done extra training, extra education, that we, we're really willing to share that. And uh, yeah, we want, the the junior nurses um to definitely approach us and ask questions mm. and we welcome that cool if someone's watching now what would you say about doing np video if you, one for you oh. what would you say Damo, well, this is you take it on 
do it. We need so many more MPs. Like I think the government is releasing a fifty million dollars worth of uh, funding for MPs around Australia. There's only like two thousand five hundred of us around Australia, um, and there is a, a healthcare shortage. Um, and nurse practitioners can definitely fill that gap, um, but not just fill a gap, but do a tremendous job. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if you're thinking about it. Definitely do it. I can feel my arm getting twisted behind <laughs> my back. Oh yeah, okay. I'll, the yeah. M- the MP world is uh, is evolving and yeah. like positively, hundred percent. Really yeah, and we've we work with some awesome MPs. I've also previously worked with some pretty cool MPs who I still stay in contact with, who are awesome and they've got an awesome vibe. Um, so if you want to be an MP, um, we're going to put links into the show notes about becoming an MP. Oh yeah, um, dude, we're going to crack into a case. Case studies are really awesome. Yep. Uh, they you know really help us in terms of you know understanding pathology before mm. we crack into it it's on septic arthritis it's going to be rad um dude also what do you like to do man what's your vibe you said you went for a surf this morning yeah. what fires you up you cook some food for your partner recently oh yeah i made um, this great sandwich tonight <laughs> caramelized carrots and onions it took four, i didn't realize how long caramelized carrots take to cook a while yeah a while 40 minutes 40, it took me 40 minutes look, looking at a saucepan yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I love surfing, yep. play soccer on the weekends. I'm very active. Yep. Um, kind of get together with mates all the time. Yep. Uh, church vibes, like cool. go out and see my church mates and listen to the to the Bible on the weekend. Yeah, cool. You know, just regular, regular adult stuff, cool, I guess. man. Sick. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, and it's also shaped you to anyone that knows you, bro, uh, knows you're a super kind human. Um, oh, our department was super pumped to have you back. Um, nothing is too much of a fuss. Uh, you're a great teacher. You're kind with patience. Uh, and that's why I wanted you on the, on the podcast, bro. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, let's crack in septic arthritis. What mm. the hell is septic arthritis? Um, and you're like, Benny, why are we talking about this? Um, however, let's crack in. What is septic arthritis? Yeah. So, uh, so septic arthritis is actually known as like an infectious arthritis. It's a, um, where a bacteria or a virus or a fungus, uh, or any microorganism kind of enters the joint space and, uh, causes inflammation and infection. Um, and so those bacteria can be like, you know, a, just a, a staph aureus or a, um, a, a strep. Like it, it, it can be heaps of different bacteria. It can be from like an STI, it could be from a virus, um, yep. um, could be like weird things, uh, even a gastro bug. Okay. Yeah. It can cause a bit of a reactive arthritis, okay. um, which is interesting because once it's entered into the bloodstream, the bugs can travel anywhere okay. and they actually like the kind of the synovial fluid. And so they kind of choose joint spaces to make a home. Okay. And so they get in there and uh, they start kind of causing problems, destroying the joint space, mm. really causing a lot of destruction to the to the cartilage, to the bone, and then causes like reduced mobility, causes swelling, severe pain, okay. um, like redness, hot to touch. So when you see it in emergency, I was say, yep. you can you can sort of tell, you know what, this is not this is not good. Yeah. The person can sometimes, if it's like the knee or the ankle, they can't even put any weight through it. Okay. It's, uh, it's that painful. All yeah. Right. So, so we, we see a joint in ED, it's red, it's hot, it's mm, reduced mobility. Yeah. One of our differentials on our list should be septic arthritis. For sure. Okay, for cool. sure. Particularly if they're like an immunocompromised, uh, quite old, um, 
uh, and I, I guess today's case, we're going to look at something different, yeah, cool. which would be very interesting. Not an older person, um, but a a person who kind of hasn't really kind of taken care of themselves properly. So, okay. um, yeah, it'll be interesting today. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so today's cases uh, have a. It was a case I had last year, mm. um, and I was working in a uh, tertiary hospital in the city, and um, it was just an interesting patient. Uh, so she was a 44-year-old female and she actually was a representation. She got seen the day before um, and she got diagnosed with cellulitis and got placed on probenicid and uh, kefazolin and she was she was asked to stay in ED or stay overnight and get admitted, but she also did not want to stay. Okay. She had a bit of a social history, a bit of a, um, a alcohol dependency, and so that made it really hard for her to actually want to stay in. Um, she knew she was sick um, and we... And well, the clinicians on that day told her um, that you probably should probably stay in, um, but she didn't want to. Okay, so she's a dama. She's a dama. We yeah, get, we get concerned about patients who have yeah. discharged against medical advice. For anyone out there, yeah, they're super vulnerable patients. Like most vulnerable patients in ED are um, non-triaged patients yep. um, because we don't know what's going on, mm. um, and then the patients who yeah discharge against medical advice because we don't know where they've gone or how they've actually progressed. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, cool. so, so representer, 44, yeah, yeah, represent. Back in. So where was the cellulitis situated? The cellulitis was on the left hand, left, left hand, left okay. wrist. Cool. Um, but it was also like the blood test showed that her white cells were about fifteen, and CRP was two hundred and thirty-three. So it was pretty decent. The people out there, uh, white cell count, normal white cell count. It's usually roughly. less than like eleven. Cool. Yeah, and CRP, that. normal CRP. CRP is less than three. Cool. Yeah, or three. Yep. Yeah. Um, There's two over two hundred. Over 200 is too high. Yeah. yeah there's definitely some bacterial or cool. some infection going on there. Um, yeah. So they they ended up, uh, because her left hand was swollen, uh, it wasn't red. So that was an interesting mm. part of it. It wasn't okay. red. It was just swollen and it was super painful. She couldn't wait there. She couldn't move her wrist at all. Okay. Uh, so they did an ultrasound of her arm just to make sure she didn't have a DVT. Okay. And it was all clear. Okay. Yeah. I understand where they were going from. Yeah. Um, and what did it look like when you examined it? So, yeah, so the next day, it was a bit interesting because it had changed. Okay. So the left hand was less swollen. Mm -hmm. She felt a little bit better with the range of motion. Yep. Um, it still didn't look like a traditional cellulitis. Mm. Um, but what was interesting is that, you know, when, when you examine a limb, you examine proximal to the to the actual affected component. And mm -hmm. so I examined it from the shoulder downwards. And the shoulder in itself, the left shoulder, she had severe pain, even on like the slightest of movement. Okay. She she couldn't uh she couldn't flex it and abduct it. She couldn't do anything because it's like it was just maybe a five degree range of motion, and she was in quite yeah. a lot of pain. Abduction. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's pretty bad. So that's a cool kicker too. Hey, always make mm. sure you assess above the joint above, that's yeah. sore, or even fur like further up if yeah. it's like the, the wrist go to the shoulder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's if good. it's the ankle, you can consider doing the hip if you want to. Like yeah. just make sure. Yeah, go proximal to the actual injury. Were you more diligent in your examination process because the patient had discharge against medical advice the day before? Yeah, so she she was a she was hard to convince to stay, um, and so because I feel like there, there may have been a rush for her to go home and do whatever she needed to do, I I needed to make sure that she was okay, and because her blood tests were pretty abnormal. And um, the picture was changing as well. So her clinical, like her wrist was uh, was improving. Mm. However, 
you know, she, she still felt quite lethargic, felt unwell. She was having fevers. Um, so it was, yeah, I, I said, you know what, we probably have to start from scratch here mm. because it does not typically look like a cellulitis. What does cellulitis look like for people out there that haven't seen cellulitis before? Yeah, what does yeah. cellulitis look like in, in when you look at it? Well, cellulitis is usually uh, one limb. It would be weird for it to be like a bilateral limb. So mm. to start questioning it if it's like two limbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's usually one limb, it's usually quite red, quite swollen. Mm. Um, and it's always good to compare to say, if, you know, compared to the contralateral limb, yep. um, uh, is very painful, mm. um, to, to move the joint space around there yep. or to touch it or to weight bear. And even on light touch, it's not even on deep palpation, it's quite tender, but it's on light touch that is quite tender. Cool. So you can yeah. see how that could have been a differential diagnosis cellulitis for patients. Yeah, yep. yeah, cool. yeah. So, yeah, I, I didn't see the redness. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I said, you know what, let's start from scratch mm. here and do some more questioning. We'll go through the history again. And uh, and so that's where we're at now. There was a few things that I found out in a history that I wanted to kind of shed light on. It's like seven days prior to her presentation, she was actually scratched by a cat mm. on her left forearm. Um, I wanted to put that in there. That actually has nothing to do with the case. Okay. But I wanted to put that in there because we have to think about everything. Yep. Um, and cat scratches can be quite bad as well. Why really cat scratches bad, dude? Why? There's just so so many bacteria within their, their, their nails that it can just contaminate our skin quite quickly. And, okay. and infections usually kind of develop quite rapidly within 24 hours. Yep. Yeah, and there is there's bacteria that... Uh, is hard to manage just with uh, normal or like our everyday kind of kefazole and yes. say um, antibiotics. So you often have to yeah. get dual antibiotics, grandpas. Yeah, yeah. We, I th- I'm pretty sure you'd have to get like some admentin to a yeah. fort yeah. and as well as maybe some doxy. Cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, um, yeah, dual is probably the way to go yeah. with the cat scratches. Yeah. Um, but I, I know that they can get infected quite quickly cool. and can have a pretty bad outcome too did that throw a spanner in the works the cat scratch did did it make you go oh is that just yeah you know, i mean cellulitis or is that just yeah that, that cat that scratch didn't look infected though. okay cool yeah good, it good. was just a scratch i was like you know what it's, just, it's something to throw in there but we have to consider it yep, clinicians cool. we have to see the whole picture yep. not just like you know there's a there's a simple injury yep. and yep. just for this patient's clinical history um yeah well she had um, depression and anxiety okay. um well she uh, interestingly with the uh, yeah, alcoholic dependency. Um, she had she drank like three bottles of wine, or a bottle of vodka per day. Okay, well, yeah, and she's um she was she's had a withdrawal seizure once yep. um the the previous year. Uh, her regular medications consisted of metazapine, um for de- depression anxiety. She was on PRN uh, diazepam for her withdrawal symptoms. Uh, yeah, and she had no known allergies, mm. uh, but sometimes the non-steroidals gave her some gastritis. Um, I think what was interesting was actually her social history. Her social history, she uh, was currently living alone with her cat at that time. She was going through a divorce with her husband, and she had recently kind of had sex with a random person that mm. she kind of met. Um, she was uh, an ex-smoker, and she denied any other recreational drug use or uh, intravenous drug use. And so I guess knowing, knowing the differentials, which we'll get to yeah. about like septic arthritis, mm. um, I, I decided to do a sexual health screen okay. uh, or history. Um, and so 
that that's when I found out that she had slept with um, a new partner. It was unprotected, um, uh, but she had never had any history of it, of STIs, and she actually had an STI screen a month ago. Why is it getting a social history important, Damo? Like, why mm. a sexual history and a social history when you're concerned that something else is happening and you're not quite sure? Why is it important to get a social history yeah. of patients? Um, I think like, we have to think, we're, we're told to think holistically. Mm. Um, and so we can't just see um, a patient's problem to be just medical. There, there could be a simple issue like a broken finger. However, you don't know whether that patient actually... Um, has had a non-accidental injury or has been abused at home, a domestic violence issue, um, or whether there is like a, like that finger actually affects their day-to-day living. Mm. Say if that was a uh, hand injury of a person who moves around with a wheelchair, Mm. how are they going to push themselves in a cast in a wheelchair? Like they, they just can't do it. So it's important to understand their social life, um, where they're at with work, whether there's like some occupational hazards, like maybe a 80 year old gentleman who used to be a builder who's worked with asbestos in the past and now has come with respiratory issues. Like, mm. um, uh, there is also like workplace hazards, like I don't know, chemical burns in the eye. Um, particularly when we're dealing with the older community, there could be uh, who do we discharge them to? You know, are they going to be safe at home? Um, uh, yeah. And can they even carry out the plan that we give to them as patients? Because, yeah, you know, it's important to sort of say this is what we should do in this case, but, you know, we need to adapt some things. If we've got somebody who lives, you know, somewhere with relatives far away, we can't discharge mm. them tonight. Or if we've got somebody who needs regular dressing changes, but they live in, you know, whoop, whoop, then we need yeah. to work out a different plan of attack. Yeah. So that social history is super important. Are they actually going to be able to do what they need to do to get the recovery that they need? And sometimes you, you try to help people. You try to help them as much as you can, but they mm. actually choose not to accept yep. your help. And so um, knowing that even though you can do the best history, you're trying to help them as much as you can, and it's up to the patient. If they're, if they're all there cognitively, mm. then they don't want your help. Then I guess as a clinician, it's hard to accept, but you're going to have to accept it. Yep let them do their own thing mm, and getting a sexual history which is pretty important um mm. how do you find yourself approaching those questions there are personal questions that are mm. um important to maintain confidentiality but also remain professional yeah yeah um, so does I, that come from experience working in a, in a city hospital where you learn how to sort of dive into those questions and most patients are pretty open with you in terms of their history yeah yeah so uh, it was interesting working in the city because you get everyone um and uh i i learned that uh, the best way to approach this is actually to ask them their permission. Yeah. Um, I always start. Uh, can I can I ask you about your sexual history? And if they say no, then that's it. Like, I, then the questions end there. But if the majority of people, I, I don't think I've ever had anyone say no, are happy to share their sexual history. And so you just go off, um, you know, the the typical questions, um, and uh, and it's usually like in fifteen seconds mm-hmm. you're done. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. And. Yeah, people are happy because it's a confidential conversation. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. not going to share it with everyone else. Um, yeah. And you're mainly trying to find out information that's going to help you in your clinical diagnosis too. Exactly. Yeah. And it's going to be it's going to be focused. I'm not going to ask everyone's sexual history if they come in with like a stub toe. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, this is a bit weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So no. it's it generally you you thought about septic arthritis being a differential, and you know that there could mm. be something linked to this, and you're yeah, concerned. That's right. 
and particularly for her demographics. She was a 44-year-old female. She was going through a rough time. She's had a new sexual partner. Um, and now she's got like this kind of weird joint pain and swelling, mm. um, arthralgia at the moment because the shoulder joint is such a big joint. It's, it's hard to see if there's much swelling there, mm. um, but it was definitely painful. It okay. wasn't red as well. So all I was going off was pain at this point and mm. the pain in her wrist, which was improving okay. as well as the swelling. I really love Damo's approach to asking personal questions. I loved how he gave the patient time or even a chance to say no. Um, do you mind if I ask you, you know, a personal question? And they were able to answer yes or no. It gave the patient a warning. It gave the patient a chance to say yes or no if they weren't happy. So often than not, when I work in ED, I just shoot through the questions straight away. Um, and it made me realize maybe I need to approach it a little bit differently. Um, so often than not, you can learn something from someone else. I guess for you out there listening, do you just dive straight into questions or do you give the patient a chance to say yes or no? Maybe I'm wrong here, maybe we shouldn't, but I think it's a great idea. I think maybe when we get to personal questions, um, in relation to you know sexual history or in relation to those questions so we can ask the patient hey uh, is it okay if I ask you some personal questions um, I thought that was really cool um, tell me what you think about it um, do you think it's cool Yeah, physical examination, her heart rate was about 110 mm. at that point and just didn't know whether it was, and uh, well, and she was afebrile at that time. I was going to um, say, was she febrile? So. No, no. I think mm. it was probably her drinking. Um, mm. In that hospital, we use a CWA score. I know we use alcoholic withdrawal scale here, mm. um, but we use what's called a CWA score. So a CWA mm. score is a revised clinical assessment withdrawal assessment for alcohol. Okay. Um yeah, and so th that's what we used. At the moment, she was scoring at about nine. Um, and Assuming that's pretty high. Now, mild is less mild. than 10. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think she was she was a little bit shaky as far as I remember. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, touched the shoulder, super, super painful, super sharp, um, wasn't able to move it properly. Um, and her, interestingly, her elbow was fine, her humerus was fine, mm. and the forearm was fine. She just had a few scratches on it. Um, m like neurovascularly intact, mm. um, yeah. So that's where we are at the moment. Mm. So in a, in a nutshell, you've got a raised CRP. You've got mm. uh, white cell count that was on the higher end of normal, but okay. Mm. You're afebrile. You're slightly tachycardic at one ten or tachycardic at one ten. She's got a history of alcohol withdrawal and mm. alcoholic seizures. Mm. Uh, sore shoulder, sore wrist, but elbows yeah. fine. Yep. Cool, got you. And a, and a sexual history that's sort of saying that she's had a recent new partner. Yeah, that's right. Okay, right. cool. So I guess to summarise, there's, um, uh, there's a few issues here. Yeah. So the first one is left shoulder joint pain and reduced mobility. The second one is left hand and wrist pain and swelling. Um, and uh, there is a potential for alcohol withdrawal. If she does if she does stay in hospital, then she could withdraw. Mm. Um, and then the other, the other issue is the reluctancy is to stay in hospital. Um, so we have to sort of try to persuade her to stay stay in hospital because you need the treatment. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a, a conversation that was hard to have with her. Mm. But today, what especially if she's previously discharged against medical advice mm. for people out there, like if you know she's previously discharged, then she probably has a trajectory towards not being wanting to stay and wanting to leave as well. Yeah, so that makes it odd. 
Um, but I guess today for the case study, we're mm. just going to be focusing on um, the the shoulder mm. um, and uh, the wrist as well. So yeah. we're going to leave the alcohol withdrawal side yeah. um, just to the side and then the reluctancy to say in hospital to the side. When we start looking at a patient and start kind of deciding what we want to do, we want to develop these therapeutic goals. Mm. Um, and so she was persistent um, saying that she wanted to go home. She had work. You know, she, she, she worked as a financial advisor um, and she had recently got the job. Her boss wasn't happy that she was missing a lot of work because, you know, the alcohol um, uh, dependency as well as now that she's sick. So her, she wanted to go back to work um, because she wanted to impress the boss as well. Um, and the other one is that she actually wanted to get treatment for her infection. She wanted to improve her pain, improve her range of motion. Um, and uh, she if she were to stay in hospital, she wanted to um, uh, not have any withdrawals, which is fair enough. She said that? Yeah, yeah. She's like, okay. oh, well, I'm scared that I'm going to go into withdrawals because she's had the withdrawal seizures. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's fair enough. Um, but in the end, I convinced her to stay. How did you do it, Damo? You know, did you look at her and say, hey, look, you know? It's uh, I don't know. I think I just I, I just laid it out there. Like, yeah. you just tell her as it is and... Um, give her as much information as possible yep. um, and tell her the consequences to her decisions. Yep. Um, and I think she understood at that point because she, she, she knew it was probably getting worse and now that's in the shoulder. Had you thought at that stage you th were thinking septic arthritis? Yeah, for sure. So, for sure. For okay. sure. So you're thinking migrated from the wrist to the shoulder? That's well, what you're thinking? Well, septic arthritis is usually a single joint issue. Okay. Usually. So the wrist was... But is also known to be like an oligoarthritis as well, which means like oligo is a few or poly, small, yeah. and then there's poly, which means multiple. So okay. there's an oligopolyarthritis um, kind of picture happening here. Okay. So for her, it wasn't just a single joint in my mind. Yeah. It was like multiple joints. Okay, mm. cool. And so I guess part of the differentials I had to think about was mm. what is causing this limb pain yeah. and decreased mobility. And so... Um, uh, one of the differentials is a reactive arthritis, uh, which can be from like a chlamydia, it can be from like a a, um, a gastro kind of bug like uh, Shingella, um, Salmonella, uh, Campylobacter. Like you've got all these bacteria that can cause reactive arthritis. And so that was one of my differentials. The other differential was a septic arthritis. Yep. And there's a non-gonococcal and a gonococcal um, septic arthritis. Um, you can get like staph, uh, Staphylococcus aureus, um, Streptococci, uh, and um, other like E. coli. Yeah. Um, there's a there was a weird one called like a syphilitic arthritis. Is another kind of STI arthritis. Wow. Um, there's there's like a crystal induced arthritis. So gout or pseudo gout. Um, they they were one of my differentials. Um, mm. There are other kind of like uh, joint pain and swelling and uh, redness can that can like what bursitis um, or like just simple uh yeah like sometimes you can get a bursitis that looks like that kind of picture mm. it's, it's like rheumatoid arthritis sometimes you can get autoimmune diseases like um uh cle yeah. uh, that like, can cause yeah. it yeah um but at the moment i think i was just really kind of narrowing on the septic arthritis it's always good to keep a broad and unbiased mind yeah um but yeah septic arthritis was my main one mm. i just needed to find out what bug was it it's called it is causing her joint pain okay yeah 
So that was like kind of what, what was going through my mind at that point. Um, you mentioned blood results. Did you repeat your bloods um, mm-hmm. when you were on? Yeah, yeah, cool. for sure. Um, and I'll keep going through your investigations because I think uh, you're getting into it. So yeah, what yeah, investigations yeah. did uh, you you know did you go through? It's a good segue. Yeah, yeah. My next slide is investigations. There you, there you go. <laughs> I want to know. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so white cells, 11.8. That was still high. Neutrophil is about 10.3. CRP had climbed up to 293. Okay. So it was previously oh. 233. Yep. Now it's 293. 293. Um, uh, her kidneys were functioning normally. She wasn't pregnant. And her uric acid was also 0.41. So it's normal. It just cool. checks whether there is like a like an acute issue of gout. Yeah. Um, but it's not very helpful in an acute setting anyway. Okay. So um, cool. I just did it just, did it just to, you know, yeah. tick a box in a way. Um and it checked a urine. It showed moderate leukocytes, no mm. nitrites. There was moderate blood, um, and uh, sent it off for an MCS as well as a chlamydia and gonorrhea screen. Okay. And yeah, took some blood cultures. I took a syphilis serology. Um, did a chest X-ray. At this point, I'm doing a whole septic screen. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So we get concerned about sepsis, even yeah. if it is joint sepsis, but we yeah. can get pretty sick from a se- sepsis of any type. Mm-hmm. You were concerned that the patient could be some. Yes, yeah, okay. yeah. So, because she her blood work is getting worse, she's had already a shot of kefazolin and prebenicid. Um, and septic arthritis can turn into full on like septic shock because the 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 pathogen can just spread all over into the other the other systems and mm. just cause massive shutdown. Um, and so, yeah, we're doing a septic screen at this point and did a chest X ray and that was all fine. Um, did a left shoulder X ray as well and there was no acute fracture. There was cool. no kind of um, I was going to say, what are you looking for? Are you x-raying your shoulder? Are you looking for pathological fractures? Are you looking for a foreign body? Are you looking for, what are your thoughts with an x-ray on it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, definitely fractures. Um, mm-hmm. But for her, she's had no injuries. So it's mm. very unlikely. Yeah, there could be a pathological cause for it. Um, but again, she didn't have any history mm. of, of, of cancers. I'm not sure if that would be a primary, the bone. Um it's uh, it's not a realm that I'm well educated in, mm. um, but I'd be looking for like degeneration of like the 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 bone okay. um, of that joint. Okay. I I wouldn't imagine it to be abnormal because mm. it is such a new thing. If it was Acute. like prolonged, um, like a a joint pathology, then I'd be like, oh, maybe there's a a destruction of the joint there. Yeah. Um, but because it was only like a few days mm. or a day or two. Uh, I, I, I to, to wouldn't imagine there would be anything. Yeah, okay. But um, you just needed it. At least you definitely get it needed. Yeah, if you have yeah. Someone's shoulder pain. You need at least definitely, an X-ray. definitely. And, and you X-rayed the wrist too. Sorry. Uh yeah. X-rayed the wrist. There was no fractures there. Cool. Good. Yeah, and it's it's because like we it it's because we just don't know like whether she was um, under the influence of alcohol at the mm. time, and she can't remember whether she fell. Um, so it's important, yeah, if, if, a, if a person has a history of alcohol dependency, you, how much can you rely on their history? And uh, you've got to use their history as well as your clinical picture to make decisions of what investigations you should do. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So that's why I did left the shoulder x-ray and the wrist x-ray. Okay. Um, and so at this point, I was like, you know what, I think it is uh, in my gut, I think it is a septic arthritis, mm. considering a picture, a clinical picture and her pathology. So I called, contacted ortho. Okay. And so the orthopedic doctor came down, had a look at her and said, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. Uh, just need to do an um, a arthrocentesis. So we're going to aspirate, aspirate some of the synovial, uh, fluid. synovial fluid out of there. So okay. so you've done, so just so I can go through, you've done bloods, you've got, the patient was already on antibiotics. Um, you've seen a rising CRP. 
Mm. You've done x-rays of the shoulder and the wrist. You've had a previous ultrasound, which was normal for no DVTs. Yep. You got a sexual history. You got a urine, which you probably sent off, mm-hmm. and you did some STI screening. Um, yep, some screening stuff, uh, and then now you've caught also with a bit of a normal X-ray, normal abnormal bloods, and a, mm. um, patient with a good history of shoulder pain. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I, at this point, I think it's a justified referral, mm-hmm. um, and they came down. They were um, they agreed that was likely to be an arthritis, uh, septic arthritis. So they decided to aspirate the joint space, which for the joint, uh, for the shoulder was a little bit difficult. Yeah, yeah. Not so like a knee, hey, it's a bit no, different. No, a knee's, a knee's super easy. Is it? Um, I've done a few knees. It's like for me, it's straightforward. Um, but I hadn't done any shoulders at that point. Did so they ask you to do this? The, the no, shoulder? no, no, no. Cool. So they tried bedside, but they found it very difficult. And plus she was in so much pain when they okay. put the needle in. So they went to ultrasound. They did an ultrasound guided right. arthrocentesis. Yeah, okay. and so when they when they did pull out um, the fluid, they actually, uh, yeah. So they actually found that uh, there it was a complex uh, complex effusion. Uh, there was hyperemia and the subscapularis as well as the supraspinatus muscles. The biceps tendon sheath was uh, had an effusion as well as hyperemia. Um, okay, and so they. Uh, that was the ultrasound mm. and then the fluid um so it was like I mean, pretty thick and plurulent okay. and a bit of bloody yep um so uh, it content infect- it looked infected infective. yeah yep. yeah so uh that's what they pulled out and that's what they told me so they decided to admit her under the orthopedic team mm. which was good and they actually had a surgical washout that day oh so they yeah. went in opened the shoulder joint up and washed it out yeah well, i'm not sure what they do but they they washed it out. Yeah, good, good clean. <laughs> yeah. Someone cleaned the shoulder yeah, joint right. at some stage. Um, so at that point, I you know kept a new mouth. We put her on um, eight hourly kefazolin, two grams, okay. uh, gave her some adequate pain relief, um, depentadol, some paracetamol, okay, yep. um, as well as you know managed her like referred to drug and alcohol for her with possible uh, withdrawal um, and to manage her, her alcohol mm. while she's in in ED or sorry, in the hospital. Um, and then to chase up the blood and fluid uh, microscopies as well. Um, so yeah, mm. so that's where we're at. Um, what was interesting with the micro, um, the blood cultures didn't grow anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess keep in mind that she's already had probenicid and kefazol and before we yep. kind of did the blood cultures and uh, the urine cultures grew nothing as well. So they're fine. Okay. Um, and there was no crystals in the in the aspirate. Um, there were uh, plus three polymorphs um, in her in in her aspirate. Um, the white cells were fifteen. Um, the red cells were next to nothing. There was a hundred percent neutrophils in there, um, and there was no culture growth as far. Mm. Yeah, and no anaerobes. So at the moment, nothing. Mm. No culture that we have collected has shown anything. Okay, interesting. Eh? Yeah. Um, and so what I, what I decided to do is to follow her up because I was okay. still there was still no answer. So oh, uh, after being discharged, or follow up? oh she was gone to a ward. So oh no, so she was discharged forty eight hours after the washout. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yep, and so yep. um, followed her up after she was discharged, and um, 
she had she had said she hadn't made an improvement with her pain and a swelling and range of motion. Her bloods on discharge were eight, white cells were eight point seven, neutrophils were five point two, and CRP went down to seventy eight. Cool. And five. It's so down. it's definitely an improvement. And she was discharged with some Keflex, um, QID, some Tepentadol, Paracetamol, and to follow up in the ortho clinic in the next seven days. Mm. Um, but what was interesting is that two days later, the um, when I was looking at auto results, her urine gonorrhea came back positive. Mm. So yeah, that kind of threw the. Uh, the disseminating gonococcal arthritis kind of diagnosis in there. Wow. Yeah. So Did you find that you were just scrolling through well, or, or you were like following her up or they... Well, at that point, she was going to have follow-up with the also. orthopedic team yep. anyway. So yep. eventually someone would have picked it up. Yep. And because I had... I was interested in a case. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Um, saw it. I was like, okay, cool. Well, this could be the reason for mm. her, her joint or multiple joint swelling and pain. Um, and so I contacted orthopedics again and said, hey, this is your patient. Yeah. She probably has gonorrhea in her joint space because the urine has come back as a urine uh, gonorrhea positive. And uh, they were like, yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, we're, happy, we're happy for you to treat an ED. You can call her back. And um, I gave her some keftriaxone and azithromycin mm, at IV. that point. Yeah, IV. Yep. And I gave her the azithromycin as the oral one gram. Yep stat dose um and the keftriaxone 500 milligrams iv stat okay. yeah um so yeah in the end her septic arthritis was actually caused by gonorrhea mm. and it was most likely from the new partner or one of the partners that her husband had yes. had in the breakdown of relationship um yeah. Mm. Had she had any other um symptoms other than the shoulder pain and the wrist from that you were aware of? Well, she had a fever. Okay. Yep. She had a fever the first day she came in with the yeah. cellulitis, but then the fever had gone away with yep. the after the antibiotic yep. treatment. And no dysuria, no other abdominal no. symptoms from like nope. a nope. vaginal discharge, no sort of... No. no. Mm, interesting. So unless the shoulder and the wrist were distracting yep. her from maybe Looking. some abdominal pain or some yeah. some urinary issues, but she, she denied so any urinary symptoms. Mm. Um, yeah. And so... Yeah, we, we ended up diagnosing her with some uh, with a disseminated gonococcal arthritis, which Holy is moly. which is a rare complication. I was going to say it's not common, is it? Like no, I don't. It's not. No, I, I mean, I, even septic arthritis. I looked at the stats. I think it was like what three and a, I'll check the stats. I think it was five and a hundred thousand or something. So it's not a common um, thing we see all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's something you got to be aware of, and you don't want to get wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Because it can cause de like severe debilitation to that. Um, to that joint, it yep. can cause lifelong issues, and particularly mm. in kids. So okay. if you miss it, it can affect growth plates and the way you know their bones form. Like yep. it's it's definitely not a good thing to miss. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I think I think I can't remember the exact stats, but like gonococcal um, arthritis is actually a it's two percent of okay. all septic arthritis um, infections. Yep. So it's actually a rare mm. rare complication to actually having the a gonococcal or gonorrhea infection. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, like we, we go back to the basic pathophysiology of septic joints, like the, the pathogen enters through um, in, in, I guess in this case um, as an STI Vigil, yeah. and then goes and gets absorbed into the bloodstream and then eventually kind of makes its home into one of the joint spaces and then 
your joint gets in- infected. It's yeah, crazy. It's crazy. Right? That it, you know, you sort of think STI, you don't really think about shoulder pain and septic mm. arthritis in a shoulder from a sexually transmitted disease. You know what I mean? Yeah. You sort of think, or infection, you sort of don't really think, gee. Yeah, but that, you know? that's why it's in like experience and training, education and, um, and knowing your differentials when you see a specific issue. Um, is important because mm. then you can write the you can ask the right questions and gather the right tests mm. to help um, uh, make your hypothesis mm. like either correct or incorrect. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was a very interesting case. Mm. I really liked um, the kind of following her up and and kind of bringing in bringing her in what like five days later mm. and seeing how different she was. Yep. Um, from a person with pain and a person who, you know, was struggling with the alcohol dependency and how, yeah, how, how great our, can our clinical relationship was. Mm. It was just, it was really nice. Yeah. How did she approach it when you said, Hey, you've got a positive, you know, she wasn't surprised. Okay. Yeah. She, um, she, I guess she was doing, she had an STI screen um, the month prior, Mm. um, and it was negative. So, Mm. and she had sex with someone in within that month so she she actually wasn't surprised that okay. um she had one mm. yeah and i think that's why she was screening yep for yeah. it yeah it's good and it's good to listen a good learning point hey listening to your patient when they tell you they've been for dif- different tests or when they're yeah. saying that they've investigated something sometimes look into that because it can give you a bit of a clue mm. that maybe there's something going on with the patient yeah mm. what, what i found interesting is that the the aspirin didn't show anything. The blood culture still didn't show anything, even after a few days of of, um, of letting them kind of brew and culture. Mm. Um, but what I found out afterwards and with like a bit of reading mm. um, is that uh, there's only about 80 to 90% of them actually come back positive. Oh. Yeah. Um, and if you've started antibiotic treatment, it's actually a bit harder. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a good amount of cases that actually don't grow or don't find the bacteria within the joint aspirate mm. of gonorrhea. Yeah, because the joint aspirate is so small, and it could be yeah. anywhere in the joint, or they're just saying that you know. Yeah, sometimes. Fail rate. Mm, so sometimes it's due to um, just the loading, how much yeah. um, the the concentration of the bacteria within the joint space, and sometimes it's just within the cell rather than kind of around yeah, the, the fluid. Mm. Um, sometimes it's the technique of the clinician. Yep. Um, Especially if you get blood and you don't get as much serious fluid. Yeah, just yeah. Be, yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, I uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting to do some reading after the case because mm. I learned so much from it as mm. well. Um, for people out there on septic arthritis, what are some things you learned in terms of, yeah, you know, you mentioned some stuff from that case. Um, mm. What else did you learn in relation to that interaction? Did you learn that, like, you got to be diligent or what? Yeah, what did yeah. you, yeah, for people out there? I guess the first thing I learned was um, even though we trust our, our colleagues and we, we uh, like, the majority of the time, you know, their diagnosis is usually the diagnosis that I'll come up with is if you are concerned about something, if something's not making sense, definitely revisit the whole story, start from scratch and try to regather some new information. Mm-hmm. Because um, sometimes like our colleagues are, you know, are 10 hours into a night shift and they're like super tired, their brain is not working, they haven't had like a, a, a break in like eight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the judgment could be a little bit, um, uh, not 100%. And so it's important for clinicians 
to revisit the story. Um, yeah, and, and for me with this picture, it was like, oh, it doesn't look like cellulitis. How mm. did they come up with that conclusion? Mm. Um, and then kind of questioning that and then going going forth mm. and asking more questions. So do you have thorough clinical exam yourself? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, definitely do an exam. Um, assess your patient from head to toe, proximal um, to distal. If they've got really abnormal bloods, like uh, something that shows a really decent infection, definitely consider septic screen. Um, yeah, collect all the right pathology. Mm. So it might not be the emergency clinician making the call, but it might be, you know, the, the blood cultures will probably help mm. uh, infectious diseases or orthopedics or rheumatology, whoever, um, make a decision a few days down the track to target the the bacteria with a certain antibiotic rather than just kind of treat empirically. Yeah. yeah. How, how did it change your practice? Like you're a new MP at the time, or not super new, but new enough, um, you know, into your long career as an MP. How did it change you? Why, why did the case stand out so much for people listening? Why did it sort of help you and give you confidence as a clinician? Yeah. Um, so why did it give me confidence? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think cases can either boost us up, give us a bit of like, oh, good, I, yeah. I got it right. Like I've been training yeah. my whole life to make good clinical decisions, to mm-hmm. be able to like make a, you know, a clinical decision based on, you know, evidence in front of me. Mm. Almost like a detective finding pieces of the puzzle, putting them yeah. together, saying, yeah, it fits, it fits, it fits. And then, you know, this is a bit of a mystery that wasn't solved mm. uh, and you were able to sort of put the pieces together and say, hang on a minute. Let, let me put it together. How did it change how you sort of approached it? How, you know, yeah. I I think like um, when you're reading your textbooks and going through you know theoretical differentials on things, and you sort of like, oh, that is so cool. That's such a rare kind of um, complication to this sort of disease. Um, that rarely happens, mm. and we're taught theoretically to think about it, mm. and yet it. There's probably a, a lot of clinicians out there who haven't seen it disseminating gonococcal arthritis. Um, but you still have to think about it mm. because you never know that it's, it might be the patient that you see that day that has it. Mm. Um, because if we dismiss it or don't test like like um, for a gonorrhea yeah. chlamydia on the urine, uh, we may have missed it. And that patient may have come back a few days later without the bacteria actually getting solved. Or yep. eradicated. Yep. Yeah. And then that could have caused prolonged degeneration of the joint space, which meant that, you know, they may have had issues with their shoulder forever. Mm. Just shows you how you like just being thorough in your approach mm. and also listening to patients, but sometimes realizing that not everything's always on the map. Like on the mm. you know, you've got your chest pain, your top five, or you've got your you know, you your, your big killers and stuff you think about. But sometimes the differential can be something odd. Yeah, and um, like, it, yeah. I don't know if I told you about the case. It's, it's got nothing to do with this one, but there was a, a gentleman that came in uh, a y- last year with urinary symptoms mm-hmm. and a bit of vagueness. Um, and in the end, long story short, he had uh, metastatic brain, like skin cancer, and mm. had had um, had gone into his brain. Brain mets. Brain mets. Mm. And he only presented with urinary frequency and foul smell. But you were concerned because he was altered in his He was just so vague. Yeah. He couldn't even take his pants off. Like a mm. 52-year-old man mm. needed his partner to take his pants off. No, no, you can do it. So there was definitely something going on. Okay. So and you always put down like, oh, confusion yes. or vagueness to like UTI. Urine, 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 yeah. 
again, like you, and you, you just got to kind of revisit the information and kind of really ask mm. the questions, like and and understand their social history. How are they coping at home? How is their conversation? Because he was he was a nurse himself, mm. and he would be having uh, conversation with patients, um, and you you would have to articulate himself quite clearly. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, but he couldn't do that. Mm. It's very odd. It's a good. It's a good sort of segue in that. Um, you need to listen to the patient, but also when your gut feelings telling you something's off, mm. that yep. you probably got to revisit it, or at least give yourself ten minutes or five minutes to step away, yep. leave the patient where they are, and regather your evidence or relook up your evidence. I don't think there's anything wrong with relooking up differentials when you're on a shift on up to date on joint pain. You know, oh, like yeah, what could definitely, be, yeah, yeah. You, 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 if you if you think that you know everything, you're you're going to make mistakes. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. good. Mm, yeah so definitely ask questions and ask someone I, I love being in ed because there's always someone who knows more than you yeah it's good yep yeah, you can always ask him yeah questions. i think oh, i'm generally asking you questions not myself okay. I, <laughs> no <laughs> i asked or well, yeah i asked everyone questions yeah i think it's good yeah. it, i've said this before about being a bit of a sponge or a leech and trying to you know get things off people to to learn more information um and i think that patient would have been very grateful for your clinical expertise in that situation if we're talking about septic arthritis uh, and you're thinking maybe someone's concerned about it, what would be your take-home message on septic arthritis? Mm. Uh, look look at the entire limb um, and uh, don't just think if it's not red or it's not infected. But pain pain is definitely something that we should consider as an infection. Um, and if it's not swollen, if it's not red, but it's painful, then also you can, yeah also consider infection as a possible differential. Um, obviously, look at the whole clinical picture. Like yeah. if they've fallen over, then yeah, you know, look what's in front it's of probably them. just a fracture yeah. or a sprain or whatever. Yeah, it doesn't always have to be the weird and wonderful. No, that's right. One in 100,000 yeah. case. But, but but it's still a possibility. Yeah, I like mm. it. It could be a possibility and that's important is that your job is to put out your differentials and try and hone it in. Uh, and I like how you, I also liked uh, off point that you mentioned that more and more our emergency departments are seeing more subacute patients in our fast track areas, mm. which means that it puts a greater pressure on NPs to get that diagnosis correct, yep. um, which is important as well. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, because sometimes we, we want to see the simple ones. We just want to suture. We want to do the wounds. Like, mm. But um, yeah, there's more abdominal pains coming through. Mm. Um and yeah, the subacute presentations that we need to take our time. We need to start listening to our patients and seeing uh, the clinical picture and assessing them properly. Cool. Yeah. Um, for anyone out there that wants to know more about septic arthritis, where should they look? What mm. would you recommend reading? Uh, and we're going to put some stuff in the show notes. What do you reckon? Uh, I guess all our websites on CAP. CAP is a wealth it? of knowledge. I love CAP so yeah, much. Cool. It is cool. the best. Um, BMJ, up to date. Cool. Um, yeah, they're, they're just really good. Cool. At, and they work you through differentials as well. Yeah, I'll put yeah. Uh, maybe a BMJ journal on about um, yeah. gonococcal uh, septic arthritis. Yeah, yeah, we'll for put, sure. I know there's a, a decent one out there, so I'll put that up there. 
Um, and dude, for anyone that wants to get in contact with you yeah, man. or wants to ask questions about MPs, um, I'll put a link to maybe your Insta and people can ask you questions. Yeah, man, definitely. Um, I, I have a joint Insta. I don't know if that's that's ooh, a good or bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've had a joint Instagram since the, the very beginning. They've let you have it. Oh, yeah. Is it with yeah. your dog or your partner? No, my partner. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be Damien and Naomi and now it's just Naomi and Damien because cool. I barely use it. You've been boosted to the, to the last, you know, to the end. To the the end it will be naomi leo who's my dog (laughs) um bro it's been a pleasure um is there anything you want to add um to finish the case off you're good uh no i just thanks thanks for taking the time listening uh, to this uh case and thanks for having me on the show it's been really really awesome i've been a long time listener first time presenter (laughs) 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 um yeah no i i appreciate everything you do um with these podcasts and uh the education you give everyone uh, who listens um i think you're doing a great job benny i'm learning heaps bro um and definitely when i say a joint that is you know like this i'm gonna be like oh could it be this oh yeah do a urine (laughs) yeah do a urine bro do a urine um do a social screen but also i love how you just ran through talking to your patient listening to your patient that Mm -hmm. holistic approach being concerned with your patient having a frank discussion with your patient, um, never discarding anything as putting it off, you know, running through your differentials. Uh, I really liked it and I thought you did a great job. So I think you've done a world of uh, good for that patient. So, dude, keep keep it up. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You um, have a good day, guys. Enjoy uh, your night. You. See Heart starts beating out my chest. The EDGM podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which this recording is occurring today, the Darawal people, and pay my respects to the elders past, present, and emerging. Ah!